Look at where we are. We're on this yacht in Miami for Music Week. We're just so excited. So we're learning about the history of Progressive House all around the world. And you hear about these residencies. You hear about Sasha and John Digweed at Twilo. You also hear about Hernan at Clubland. In 1996, you became the resident of Clubland, which is Pasha in Buenos Aires, right? What? You know, there's great, there's great accounts like Pasha, Pasha History BA on Instagram. We can see the photos. But what was the magic of that club? And what was it like to not only play in front of your audience, but plant the seed of progressive house music in Argentina? Today, it's one of the best scenes in the world. It is. It is. Um, well, thank you for the interview first. Um, I'm happy to be here talking to you guys. And I'm extra happy that you guys are doing all this this work because you know as this is melodic and the progressive sound is is our sound is our flag so it's nice to see all the people pushing it um so back in the day in argentina you know there was a small scene uh pasha from my visa went to open the club in in buenos aires in 1993 the first three or four years were not so good um because they have more like a like a European kind of club culture, and, and it, it was a bit like too far ahead for Argentina, for, for mainstream Argentina. I mean, no? of course, there's always been people in the underground that were involved and, and understood everything, the people that travel as well, but mainstream, not really. So at the beginning, it was tough, and then, as you say, 1996, uh, at the it wasn't yet called Clubland. The name Clubland started in 98. But in 96, you were right, is, is the moment when Pasha, for the first time ever in Argentina, there is a club that is only concentrated on the music and the DJs and the sound system. Before, clubs were promoted by, you know, models, you know, and, and, and how you say, public relations people, VIP kind of thing, you know, which is fine, I don't mind that. but. <laughs> never the focus was put on the music. So they spent more money on the VIP than in the sound system, or DJs were paid no money at all, nobody would care about the DJ booth. And then in 1996, Pasha starts saying, uh, the directors, they, they got idea, they say, okay, um, we, we're gonna push this way, you know, the, the start bringing international DJs to the club and putting all the efforts on showing that the center of the club is the music. And instead of uh, having, you know, a, 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 how you say, a bodyguard on the front of the door saying who enters or who doesn't enter, for the first time it was a club that anyone could enter as long as you pay the ticket, you enter and you enjoy the music. So that may sound obvious for other people, but in South America it wasn't like that. It was clubs, as I said, were really much about VIP and kind of thing. So Pasha had that change and, and became an instant success. Uh, it, it took a while to, to get a, a financial success, but uh, from the clubbers' point of view, it was incredible because they instantly feel like there was something new and something different in the city. I was lucky enough to be the resident of the club, so at that time it started to have, you know, every weekend, you know, Sasha or John and Danny Tenaglia, you know, or any, any, you know, they've seen Danny Howells, Nick Warren, you mentioned any top. DJ from all over the world coming to play week in, week out. And I was normally opening or closing or sometimes opening and closing. So, and 
since the scene were really small and there were not many people working around, I was also in charge of sometimes picking them up at the airport. So I get to know these guys. They were my idols, you know, and suddenly I was taking them to, to for lunch or dinner and of course playing with them and sharing music. So for me, it was like an incredible time to, to, to grow up and, and, and get to know these guys and they get to know me. So then uh, in 1998 starts Clubland, the night called Clubland, um, which is Saturday nights at Pasha, and uh, it, it started like, like, you know, like you said earlier, one, one of those institutions of the club music, and and the war start, you know, going out internationally, and uh, people from UK magazines or US magazines start traveling to see what's going on in Argentina, why everybody is still talking about that, you know, and the DJs, you know, so we have really good press and really good exposure because it's, it's a combination of things. Uh, we have this amazing club and sound and the DJs, but you have to add that the, I would say one of the biggest assets of the scene in South America is the Latino spirit, you know? We are Latinos. We maybe look Europeans uh, because most of us came from, you know, our old grandparents were immigrants, you know, they, they came to Argentina or to South America in the early nineties, uh, ninety. I mean, 80, 80, right? Um, and, and after the first war and after even the second world war, but um, so we all have this kind of like a mixed culture. We are like Europeans, Spaniards, Italians, um, but we all have the, the Latino spirit. So when, when there is a party, we all, you know, clap and scream and dance like crazy. And it's like, a, a, it creates a, a very, very special atmosphere. And people were really willing up until the 1990s, there were no much international DJs coming to play. And not, not even, even rock bands. There were few, not, not bigger festivals like we have today, these days. So. The, the excitement and the enthusiasm of the crowd was unparalleled. It's even the day of today, like when a, when a big rock band, I'm talking about like, you know, people like the Rolling Stones or Madonna, they want to make a video. They go to record it in Argentina or in Brazil because they know that the moment they put the camera on the crowd, they're going to get something that they don't get in or, or in other parts of the world. It's not because it's better or worse. It's just, it's just the way we express, you know? And uh, so for club music, it's amazing. And, and, and then I think that's part of, the, of how Clubland was so successful. The international DJs playing incredible music, all the global underground guys, all the Renaissance guys, and the mix they had with this, this incredible crowd that we have every Saturday. They, people were super, super loyal. You know, they would come to, to play very early. So I was warming up, but always warming up for a full crowd because they, they would come early because I was playing and then nobody would leave until we close 10 in the morning. There was, there was no, no like, curfew at yeah. that time, so we could go anytime. And, and there, there is something special, which is like Pasha in Buenos Aires, uh, it was located right on the river. And on the river, there is a law that the police doesn't interfere. Is, is the, how you say, is the kind of like a, the marine patrol, let's say, I don't know how you say in, in, yeah. in your language, but you know, so, and, and the laws are quite different. So there were a lot of things that Pasha could go, get away with on the riverside that they, if, if uh, Pasha would have been located in the middle of the city, probably they had to close at three or four, but yeah. they were on the riverside, so no problems. And stuff like that, you know, helps a lot to, to get the club become in, 
in such a such a legendary place, you know. Definitely. DJs play for for long hours and people stay there and and it was like a very very special time. One word that Dave Seaman and Sander Kleinenberg used to describe the Argentinian audience is patience and when it comes to progressive house music and constructing it's cliche but constructing a journey totally. the patience from the crowd allows you to bring them up but then bring them back down and elongate and dramatize this whole experience we we have i think this comes out of respect like we have a very good culture of warm-up djs the warm-up djs there we play super slow respecting who's coming and understanding that the, the DJ coming next is, is the start of the night and you have to to make the, the how you say the, the the first part of the night we are not the main DJ you understand that and people understand that too so they don't expect you to bang in at 1 a.m. they know you're gonna bang in at 5 a.m. and and so that lets the DJs feel incredibly free to to do whatever they want something that I was uh, surprised to find that it wasn't like that in Europe, for example. You know, like where people were entering the club and expecting more ha tempo music. And I think this is like eating the dessert before the, the, the main course. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> the point of that. But for some reason in, in Argentina, we really always, we always understood that. Um, maybe because one of the things I, I think it is, may, may have some part is that uh, in the 80s, all the DJs who were playing clubs would be like one DJ in the club. So you would play and play from the first record to the last record, like like the open uh, all night long set, but it would be every every time. Every time you play would be all night. So you know that if you want to get the energy of the crowd for six, seven hours, you're going to have to start playing. So we were like playing progressive the progressive way, uh, because uh, then, then that's for another question, but I always right. feel a lot that uh, I like to think that apart the, the progressive music is a progressive way of playing records, right? right? And we were always into that before even knowing the world. Like I, I remember, like you know, I'm a DJ since I'm 12, and I'm 57 now, so I, I did this all my life. Um, and way before I knew that there were the UK progressive DJs, like the first one I heard was Darren Emerson in 1992, you know, and doing his God Deco stuff and all that, and Paul Oakenfold and all those guys. Um, the the way I was playing it was a progressive way before but just because that's in my mind that's that's the right to, way to do it you know definitely uh, it's, it's common sense it's it's like progressive is a is an approach and a philosophy to the music more so than a genre or sound I tell you exactly why I think it is uh, because if you hear me play uh, me or I mean or any of these guys you know we don't play only one style of music, actually. We, I mean, in six, seven hours, I, I just come from Stereo, Montreal, where I play 14 oh, hours yeah. on Saturday. Wow. And imagine in 14 hours, I play a lot of styles of music, different things up and down. He's a, but the way you mix it is that, that progressive way of mixing it is that that makes works, uh, you know, techno with deep house, with progressive, with trance, slow it down, you know, and everything you want to play in the, in, the, in the middle from that. So we had all these influences, uh, because uh, I was playing, you know, I, I was had big, massive influence from, you know, people like Frankie Knuckles, but then also Laurent Garnier, which is, you know, yeah. different kind of stuff. But they were all DJs that they knew how to play the long set. Uh, I I did my university not in not in a school, but by going to the Sound Factory Bar in New York to hear Frankie Knuckles, and and he was playing on his own all night from the first record when there was nobody in the club. Till the last one where nobody would leave before he said 
this is the last record and and for me that was that was that was the way you know uh, so I, I I always felt like the progression is 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 the most important thing even more important than the music I mean in terms of like a because that same music playing in the progressive way is gonna make a much better impact than if you play in a different way definitely and it's almost become it's almost become like a myth at this point but these DJs start coming DJs like Paul Oakenfold our first interview mm-hmm. comes to Argentina and the myth is like you befriend these guys and you become the first South American cream resident in Europe but my question is were you apprehensive or nervous about leaving this behind in Argentina and going over to Europe to cream? Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, um, you have to have in mind that when that happened, I was 30 years old. As I said before, I started playing at 12. So I had a lot of experience already. I wasn't like a, not, I, I, I knew how to DJ, right? And, yeah. I, and, I, and I knew that I, that I could do it well. That, that wasn't a problem. But it was about, I, I, did, I was not just believing that the Europeans would be interested in me more than six months. So when I, I was, this is funny, uh, in, so in 1998, Paul comes and hear me play, we play together and he offers me to go with him around the world. And I, for that, I was, I was moving to London. So I was leaving the best club in South America where I was the resident every week. So probably it was the best uh, job for a DJ, the best job in the whole South America. I have it, right? And I was quitting it. That's right. not easy. It's crazy. Yeah. But, I mean, I didn't doubt because for me, going to to, to, to England with, with a Polokan fall, it, it would be like, how, how it cannot get better. But I said to the owner of Pacha, listen, okay, I, ha- I have to go. I have to go because Paul is, is offering me to tour with him. I have to go. But please, in, in a few months, probably they're going to say to me, okay, go back to Argentina and... and Please keep me in mind, keep me in your mind, because I, I thought, okay, I'm gonna leave this this residency. They're gonna have to look for another DJ, of course, and then I'm not gonna come back and they say, okay, the other guy leaves and Nanks come back. No, I have to go back to to down the ladder to start building again. And I I was expecting, like as I said, I was going maybe to England for six months, eight months, and I end up coming back to Argentina 15 years later, married with kids, you know, like wow. a completely different person. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, during this period, 2002, it's one of our fans' favorite all-time mix compilations, Perfecto Presents South America. Oh, thank you. Now, thank you very much. what I'm curious about is our fans love knowing the little details behind the stories of building these mixes. And it happens at a time in 2002 where it's like the art of the mix compilation just before the internet comes around or is at its, at its peak. What totally. do you remember about building that mix and how much work you put into it? Uh, the, the main first different thing and, and that is difficult for kids, younger kids to understand is that this is vinyl only. So you have to mix it and record it and don't make any mistake because you have to do it all over again until it's perfect. And then you need to practice. Then, uh, back then, as, as you say, the world wasn't not connected like this now. So sometimes getting the licenses for the truck, it was, it was a hard time. Luckily, I was Okenfall and his Perfecto label on my back. So they could, I say, support me in an incredible way. And when I was sometimes calling something, I say, "Oh, I'm calling my work with Paul Okenfold." They would say, "Yeah, f- yes, of course." They would. Everybody would be willing to help me and and working and, and accepting that. Um, 
I remember like uh, the, the the amount of pressure I have of I, I was aware that back then there were no South American DJs doing it internationally. Most of the scene worldwide were more or, or Americans or um, Europeans, mostly English or, or Germans, some French people, but you know, but mostly nobody from the third world. Like right. yeah, and and I was kind of like a super happy carrying that flag. But also thinking, okay, but I have to deliver because otherwise they're gonna say South American dishes. It's a they big responsibility. Yeah. Yes, and especially you know, uh, in Argentina, we uh, anyone that knows the story about Argentina, we are a, we are a beautiful country with beautiful people. But for different reasons, we've been having hard times almost all our lives. There's never been like three years in a row where things were right. Never, economically, politically, always a problem. The war, the this and that. So. Um, I I I was aware that I had a great chance to, to give a break to all the DJs be, behind me, you know, and that if I was doing well, it would open the doors for other DJs. And luckily, that happened. It, it took time, of course, but but that happened. And about you know 2006 or seven, you were start seeing a lot of international DJs going to the festivals in Europe and, and in the US, you know, and and a lot of doors open for a lot of DJs, you know, and, and I feel like kind of like, a, I'm not necessarily say responsible, but I, what I think and I know as a fact is that, for example, many kids in Argentina, they saw what I did and they say, okay, if Hernan did, then I can do it as well, you know, at least give it a try. When before that, it, it never happened. It's so inspiring to me because this desire of yours to open up doors for the next generation and to ex give the next generation of DJs and producers exposure with the platform you have has never left and that's the cornerstone of Resident. Well, that's the idea, yes. Yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm glad you say that. Yeah, and mm -hmm. so what is it inside you and what is it about this culture that always wants to be giving back? Uh, well, I, I don't want to go too feel, I say philosophical. Yeah, yeah. But when I was... 11 it came the the the, the first uh, um, movies of star wars i love star wars so much <laughs> okay and and one thing that it got me crazy uh, when i was young it was yoda telling to to luke skywalker teach what you learn right and and you know i was young and naive but that that stick to my mind always and and then i always was super aware that it's not that I was better than my other colleagues DJs in Argentina. I had the I was the one who had the chance to the international exposure and then became a global DJ. It could have been any of the others. It been it had me. So I I always thought, okay, I have to share this. It's, it's like and and then I remember back in those days, you know, we were as, as I told you before getting, you know, people like Danny Rampling, truly pioneers of the of the scene, you know coming to us and, and teaching us not just how to play but also how to behave right you know you get i don't know grand park the DJs from the the hacienda in manchester say to me one day uh Hernan, remember it's nice to be important but it's more important to be nice you know things like that they, they may sound kind of silly now but but it's they you know we learn a lot from that and then for example danny rampling once he came and he gave us a ton of records for free for us to the djs and I remember saying to Danny, oh, Danny, oh, so you are so generous. How can I give you back? And I said, no, no, you don't have to give me. If you give it back, it finished there. 
you give it to somebody else and tell them that when they don't, don't use these records anymore, give it to somebody else. Nice. And that's it. And and all these little lessons about, you know, helping each other and, and pushing each other to make a bigger scene, you know, uh, I, I always thought it, it, they were crucial, especially in a place like in South America where things are difficult, uh, uh, vinyl or records are difficult to get. There's not like a you know, big brands like Pioneer uh, sponsoring DJ. So, so you have to do it all on your own and in the hard way. So if, of course, me, uh, if it's not me who helps the young kids, who's going to be, you know, like uh, I, I, I get exposure, I got the career, I get the place. So then that was also, you know, years later, I, I, got, I, I created the, the Sudbit label. Right. Also to, at, at the beginning, it was only to push Argentinians. Then I thought, why only Argentinians? I would going to push anyone. But, uh, but, I, I, you know, we DJs, we traveling DJs, we get a chance to to meet amazing producers all over the place, from Alaska to Singapore every weekend. And what they need is what we have, which is the visibility. You know, right. they have the talent, but especially these days, where there's 1,000 DJs at every corner, they need to put the head out of the, the rest, and, and the good ones need some visibility. So with the resident show uh, on the Saturdays, Saturday nights, or with the with the Sudbit label, or my sets, or any any way I can, I just try to give them back. You know, push push something, and and you know the same way. Paul changed my life. You know, by by signing me and taking with with him uh, on tour. Um, I try to 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 help these other guys. Amazing, and you know we know you're pressed for time. It's no, no, last it's okay. last like question I have but is you don't have to have. Oh, cool. Okay, we're um, we not in a, honestly amazing. We're not in a hurry. Amazing. I like this talk. Yeah, no, and I, I could talk and about as it. You can see I talk a lot. So. No, I could talk about it all day. Um, so you know, you're playing. All these years later, you find yourself still playing, still enjoying it, and now sharing the stage with another legend and also a friend. Like, what is it? What is it like knowing that you guys have you and Nick Warren have both shared a similar story or a similar came up in a similar era and a similar experience to be doing this together still all these years later well the story with Nick comes you know he, he, he was a star way before me I remember like buying his Global Underground CDs <laughs> his Back to Mind CDs you know and he came to play in Argentina with Way West he did play at the first Greenfields and then play at Pasha and not only I was a big fan of him as a DJ but also instantly when I met him, I knew he was a, he was a super, super cool guy, uh, the, the nicest guy in the business. Probably him and Danny Howells for me are the two nicest guys in, in, in the whole music business. And, and with Nick, we, we were similar in sound. So uh, I think uh, it was about 15 years ago that, um, or maybe a little bit more that we, we do a couple of back-to-backs. I think one, we did one in Lebanon and one in Argentina. And it really worked super well, you know, like uh, we, we felt super good um, and we saw that the people were, you know, enjoying in a special way, you know. Uh, I enjoy my, my own shows, he does his own, but when we are together, there's a special chemi- chemi- yeah. how you say? Chem- chemistry, chemistry, exactly, that, that it comes and, and people enjoy so much and, and we... Uh, since then became super friends and you know we shared the stage all over the world many many times uh, in in many many countries and and one in, funny thing is that people don't know is that we 
never, never, ever talk about music. Wow. We just go with the flow, you know. Yeah. But uh, since uh, we, we play similar, we don't play the same music, but it's similar styles. So probably I would play records that he would like, but he won't play, and me the other way around. So it always worked really well, and, and we trust each other. I think that's the most important thing in a back-to-back, -back mm -hmm. because what's the point if you... If you do a back-to-back -back because you enjoy the company of the DJ, otherwise there's no point to do it. And with Nick, I know that, you know, it, we play always three and three, right? Three yeah. records, three records each. And, and now he's going to play the right three records and when I come back, I'm going <laughs> to it's, it's, it's that, as you say, it's that chemistry that happens <laughs> every while in a while, with, not with everybody, but, but with Nick. And then, as I said, he's, he's, he's a dear, dear friend. I love him dearly. <laughs> And and I, I wish we continue doing this for, for many, many years. Yeah, well, we just want to thank you so much oh, thank you guys. for coming on. Like, you know, it, it hasn't even been a year ago since we first interviewed Paul. And to think how gracious all the DJs of this era who continue to crush it today are in terms of sharing the story of this journey of this music with us. We're just really grateful. And we know everyone's gonna be super excited to see this. So thank you so much. No, thank you, man. Thank you. And, and let me say thank you, Paul, because Paul was the one that <laughs> took me from Argentina to the world. Uh, not changed, not my DJ career, he changed my life. Right. Uh, I, I'm forever grateful to Paul, you know, and not only because all what he did for the music scene in general, but also what he did for me. So.